Amen. Well, if you've been with us at all this summer, you know we've been in a series on the life of David that we've been referring to as a journey of the heart. And the last Sunday, we looked at a story that was pretty painful, pretty difficult story in the life of David. It's a story of um, when he was king and one of his sons uh, raped his own sister, his half-sister, Amnon and Tamar. And we looked at that story and... and um, This morning, Yvonne is going to uh, look at a part of that story from a different perspective, and so Yvonne is going to come and speak now, and will you welcome our dear, courageous, and creative sister, Yvonne Devon. Good morning, everyone. I hope you remember me. I'm Tamar. I'm the daughter of King David. Pastor Doug introduced me last week, and as you may recall, my half-brother, Amon, Amnon, raped me. And when he finished with me, He threw me out of his house. I tried pleading with him. I begged him, Amnon, please, please don't do this to me. But he would not hear my cries. And as he threw me out, I then had no place to go and my brother Absalom told me to to go and live in his home. And since that time, I've been living there, and I have been living with the sorrow, the anger, and the deep, deep sense of fear. I feel like I died on that day. Some of you have never experienced rape, But I feel like something died within me when that happened. I wish I could have had someone that I could have known that would have befriended me without judgment and had come alongside me because I mourn day and night for what I could have been. Tamar, I'm really sorry for what happened to you. I'm really, really sorry. But I told him not, I told him not to violate me because it would be such a disgrace and Where was I going to go to get rid of my shame? He didn't listen. Even as I struggled against his power, he said that my no really didn't mean anything. And after this happened, he hated me. You know, there's a scripture 
in Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a real story that so many of us know. We've heard it, we've read it, we've thought about it, and I just would like to bring it to light again today. And you'll probably say, oh, Yvonne, I've, I've heard that story. But would you just give me a little time to talk about it from my perspective? So it is in Luke 10, 25 through 37. And here's the scripture from the NIV. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply goes back with this small phrase. He says, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? He throws the onus back onto the man who's questioning him because he knows he has ulterior motives. And so the guy goes on and he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He was reciting something that had been taught to him from early childhood, just like our children are in children's church and they're learning the scripture so that when they get old, they won't forget it and they'll be able to say it like by rote. Am I right? So Jesus says to him, of course, you've answered correctly. I'm doing a little bit of ad-libbing in here, so bear with me. That's just my nature. And he says, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. But in reply, Jesus also adds a little bit. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, what would we call a priest today? Someone who what? Pastors, he's religious. I like interaction, so that's okay with me. Please speak out. He's a priest. He's supposedly a very godly and holy man. And he passes this person and sees him. He goes down there. He sees this man that had been attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes. And he sees him and he passes on the other side. And then to a Levite, which is another religious man, when he came to that same place, he saw him and he went on the other side. But a Samaritan, a person that wasn't considered religious, and of course in the Jewish faith they, and, the, and the Jewish um, community, they didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. They looked down upon them and they didn't have any commonality with them. But here's this Samaritan. As he traveled, he came there and he saw the man as he was. And when he saw him, he took, I love this little tiny word, he took pity. He took pity on him. And he went to him 
and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, it's, it's the one who had mercy on him, right? And Jesus said, yes, but go and do likewise. Here's a story that I think Jesus gives us to help us understand what it looks like to help people rebuild their lives, which is actually the title of my message, <laughs> Rebuilding Lives. The story is there because it helps us see people through different <coughs> views, particularly when they've been impacted by violence. And as a side, and aside, violence can be physical, verbal, sexual, emotional, and spiritual. So there's a wide category for what can happen when we talk about abuse or violence. This story tells us about a, about a man who's been just beaten, attacked, he's been stripped and left to die. And three men cross his path. They're all strangers and they all see this dying man. They all see him they see him in his beaten state, but yet only one responds with compassion. That man, as the scripture says, he took time to bandage him. I don't know where he got the bandages from. Maybe he tore portions of his clothes to put that around the man. He bound up his wounds so that he would not bleed anymore. Um, and then he takes him. He doesn't just do that service for him, which would have been a great service in and of itself. But he picks him up. He puts him on the only transportation I think that was there. It doesn't talk about he's got a caravan of donkeys. It doesn't talk about he's got a bunch of camels. It just talks about he has one donkey. Besides, this road down there in Jericho was coming way down. This is difficult, and you'd have to have a an animal that could basically walk in those kinds of conditions. So he takes him to an inn to care for him, and he promises more aid. First, let me say, abusers come from all walks of life, and so do compassionate people. I'm going to say that again, because you're all not talking today. Okay. <laughs> This is super quiet. Okay. I'm getting back into my home roots. Okay. Abusers come from all walks of life, and so do compassionate people. Amen. We can't determine who is an abuser and who's a compassionate person by just looking at them, right? 
I've seen people that look so kind. They can remind me of my grandmother. They don't act that way. So it doesn't, they don't jive. The persona and the actions don't necessarily go together. So anyone that you're dealing with could be one or the other or somewhere in between. But allow me, as I like to do, to use my imagination and draw out some observations about this man's story. The beaten man had been left to die, and this stranger comes along, sees him, and responds, and he uses his own means to ensure that the man is tended to, right? He bandages him, he gives him oil, and so forth. And he transports him to a safe place, and he covers his financial obligations so that he can be cared for. This is what a great picture is of what real caring looks like for those who've been assaulted. Now, I admit that I was sexually abused from the ages of 6 to 17. Some of you know my story, so bear with me as I talk a bit about it. I don't know if anyone knew my circumstances at home. And at age 17, I was then pregnant. When it came to light, I didn't tell anyone that it was my stepfather's child. I was so terrified, and I felt so very alone. Even when they put me in the hospital because I was vomiting so badly, and I think it was more than morning sickness, it was my body trying to figure out what on earth was I going to do about this situation. And I loved God. I had served God and given my life to him at like the age of six or so, because I always say I don't even remember when it was. I just know that I loved him and I served him and I was faithful in church. I was doing youth ministry work. I would sing, I would teach. I was in the choir, I led choirs, I played music, I did all those kinds of things, and yet I was being violated at home. I was terrified. In a way, I was like that man that had been left on the road. And because I refused to get rid of the child, because I said, as a kid, I don't believe in abortion. That left a conundrum for my parents. So I was sent away to a home for unwed mothers, which was run by the rescue mission at that time. And it was the first time in eight years that I felt safe. I still remember the house mother's name, because she never told me her whole name. Her name was Gladys. And when I think about how Gladys seemed to look after me, because this house was not only filled with, a, there were only three girls there, and two of us were pregnant. The other part of the house was with women who had come in off the street who um, had been um, drug addicts or having alcohol problems. So the place was filled with diverse group of people. But she seemed to pay attention to me because I was so young. 
and would just be there for me. We didn't spend time talking or anything, but I just knew she cared for me. And it was this first time that I had a different perspective of what love even looks like. I was supposed to give my baby up for adoption, but when that time came, I couldn't do it, which I created another conundrum for the household. So my mother and my stepfather adopted him. And as I've said before, my mother said I could not hold him. I could, when I came home, I could not hold him. I could not diaper him. I could not bathe him because she knew what I didn't know that I would bond with him and that would be over. So like the Samaritan's gift to the dying man, this place, and particularly Gladys, was the beginning of a long time of rebuilding my life. Unfortunately, Tamar missed this type of support. And I wonder how many people who've been abused go without ever having the support they need to start over. Well, I forgot to bend my pages back, so bear with me. And I married William when I was 19. Yes, yeah, a long time I've been with him. <laughs> and my back, oh, he always talks about his back, but oh, my back. <laughs> I had known him a few years before I became pregnant. He, he was and is always kind and loving to me, but I didn't reveal my secret to him until we had been married for several years. Not only was he surprised, but he was facing a dilemma too, since my perpetrator was his father-in-law and our pastor, and he was his assistant pastor. But he never blamed, shamed, or abandoned me because I kept my secret from him. He was and is the most loving protector, listener, provider, and friend I could ever imagine. He's been another building block for me to rebuild my life. Like the Good Samaritan, he responded without blaming, shaming, or telling me what to do. He allowed me time for my healing to begin. So many times people rush others. You should do this. You should do that. But sometimes all we need to do is just be a listening ear. He allowed time for my healing to occur. And when I was ready, I began therapy, which you can imagine has taken me years to work through all the trauma. But again, it was when I was ready. Like the Good Samaritan, Will didn't put any time constraints on my healing journey, which is still in progress today. I'm sure, sure that there are many of you in this service this morning who've had things that have impacted you physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. I could go on with the list. And some of you have wondered if you will ever be well again. And my answer to you is yes, you can. Amen. I'm not President Obama, but this is a theme I have. Yes, you can. 
there is hope. It will take time and help, but yes, you can. Some of you may say, I've never had that kind of drama or extended illnesses or physical or sexual or mental abuse. So how can I help anyone who's trying to rebuild their lives? And I say to you, you can too. You don't have to be an expert. All you need is to be willing and compassionate and have a heart that listens not only with the ears, but with the heart. And you'd be amazed at how you can help someone rebuild their lives from violence, neglect, or invisibility. I have a few questions I want to leave before you today. I see y'all not writing, but that's okay. I'm assuming, and I hope you can search, search your heart with these things, and you can do it here in this service as I say them, but I'm hoping that you'll think about them rather than just saying yes or no, because some of them require more thinking. One of the questions I ask today is, should gender matter when it comes to violence? Does gender, does gender matter? Sometimes we think, well, men can take more than women, so it's not as bad for a man as it is for a woman, but that doesn't mean anything. Woundings on the outside can heal, I think, often way sooner than things that happen to the heart. Should race matter when it comes to violence? Should levels of education or financial status, or political parties matter when it comes to violence? Should being a Christian or not matter when it comes to violence? Sometimes we'll take care of our own, but we won't take care of others. What I would like to say to all of us, and I'm including myself here today, is to remember that we are called this is not a lightweight type of life that we live. We are called to be God's presence in this world. We are called to love, to assist, and to encourage members of this body as well as those who have never graced this building. We are called to be sensitive to what is said and also what is not said. We are called to pay attention to those around us and honor their humanity. I challenge you today to be what I call a holy presence for anyone who may want to break silence or talk to you about things that are going on in their lives. I call that being a holy container. Think of yourself as being a holy container. Put your hands around your arms like this and say to yourself, I am a holy container. You don't know what to say often or what to do, but all, by all means you can listen without judgment, love and pray and support for the, those who may break silence to you. 
People may break silence about all kinds of things. It could be silence about abuse, which was verbal, or it was about physical. A lot of guys have been beat up by their fathers because the father was saying to them, what? I want you to grow up and be what? A man. I want you to grow up and be a man. And so many of us have been abused emotionally, saying things. Some of us have, they're not visible to anyone, but we have names that are like branded across our forehead that can trigger us if someone says those names. Emotional, sexually, economically, and spiritually. I suspect that in this congregation today that some of us are trying to make some micro changes in rebuilding your lives. And others are working on macro changes. For me, I had to do it a little bit at a time. It just didn't work. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't change my past. I couldn't figure out what should happen with my son. I had to watch him grow up. I had to figure out how do I integrate him in as my brother rather than my son. I had to talk about things in circles sometimes to avoid what was really the truth. We should encourage and allow the people that are in our lives or not in our lives but will come into our lives to take the lead. Often we, we want to be, and that's, that's my nature, I want to be the fixer. I want to fix it. I want to get it so, so you could do this, and you could do this, and you could do this. But sometimes people aren't even anywhere near that spot. We should encourage and allow them to take the lead. And those who want to support should be as loving and graceful and prayerful as they can possibly be. Let's pray. Loving Savior, would you touch the hearts of those who abuse others? Would you heal their thinking so that they may turn to you and seek your ways? Help them to know that every human being is a treasure to you. Help them to know that you are a forgiving God and can lead them on a path to new life, a path where they are able to rebuild their lives. Give us compassion. Give us mercy. Give us joy. Give us you. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am so proud of you and your courage, Yvonne. And as she tells that story, uh, it occurs to me that even just statistically, there are many in this room right here who have had some sort of um, trauma like that, and maybe in one of the areas that Yvonne mentioned. And sometimes those 
things seem so big, so huge, that what would we do? <laughs> what could we do to come against something so damaging, so wounding, um, but Jesus? <laughs> Jesus came. And when he arrived, when he announced the beginning of his ministry, he opened up the scroll, like I mentioned last week, to the place that we would call Isaiah 61. He stood up in the synagogue and announced his purpose for why he came. Listen carefully as I read what Jesus read to announce his ministry. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus is making some big promises here, folks. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Release from the darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. This is our Jesus. This is why he came. Not just so that we get to go to heaven when we die, (laughs) but he came to provide healing and hope for each one of us, for each broken place. And my friends, that is good, good news. And so as we sing to...